It was November 18, 1978. Congressman Leroy Ryan from San Francisco had decided to fly a, a fact-finding mission to, play, to a place in uh, Jonestown, Guyana, South America. His mission was to investigate an alleged human rights abuse with a, a religious cult known as the People's Temple. People's Temple was ran by charismatic leader Reverend Jim Jones. The group had been based in San Francisco and for a while had been a legitimate church there. Yet Jones's power grew. His practices became more and more bizarre. He not just requested, told all, all, everyone that was there they had to call him father. And he was in charge of basically every aspect of their life. Their finances all came through him and anything else. He became more and more paranoid in the United States, so Jones moved his group to Guyana, South America. There, in the isolation of the jungle, he created his own little kingdom. But a legislation was coming to check it out. Someone was coming. Congressman Ryan was coming to investigate. But things did not go well for him while he showed up there at the compound, at the People's Temple compound. He decided to leave only after a day. He was leaving with uh, the team that he came with and also 18 members of the, of the temple who wanted to return to the States. But as they were going, they were followed by a group, of, a group of men that as the plane was taking off, they opened up assault on this plane, killing Congressman Ryan, three journalists, and one of the departing members. When they got back to the compound, Jim Jones then uh, led the people in a mass suicide. This was a ritual that they had normally taken of, uh, but this time their Kool-Aid was laced in cyanide. Over 900 died that one day. Most of them from the Kool-Aid, some of them trying to escape the madness, being shot. But so it was with the People's Temple and Jim Jones. Jump forward 15 years. David Koresh, leader of a well-known, uh, well, a, a well-known group now at the time, wasn't well-known as the Branch Davidians. He holed up in a compound outside of Waco, Texas. Koresh, also a charismatic, powerful leader who exercised extraordinary control over the minds of his followers. Like Jones, he had seen himself as kind of a, a messiah with the end of the world approaching. Because of a storehouse of weapons that were in his compound, the ATF decided to raid it. But John, uh, Koresh here was ready and opened fire, killing several ATF agents. Negotiations, during the negotiations, Koresh said the standoff will end as soon as he finished, finished writing his commentary on uh, the, the interpretation of the seven seals in the book of Revelation. He was waiting on that, but the FBI raided the compound, tried to get in there early on April 19, 1993, and it burst into flames, killing 86 people inside. Jump another four years. March 26, 1997, a multi-million dollar mansion in, ranch, or in Rancho Santa Fe, California. 39 members of Heaven's Gate cult decided to shred their containers and board the spaceship that they believe was riding behind the Hale-Bopp Comet. The leader, Mar Marshall Applewhite, had been traveling around since 1975 uh, bringing members together, bringing followers promising them a ride on a celestial airship. They all were found, uh, they were all found dead, well, at least uh, 70, uh, 
21 men, 18, uh, 21 women, 18 men, ages 26 to 72, looking the very same. All of them crew cuts, black pants, baggy shirt, and brand new black Nikes. All of them identical, with a little purple shroud over their face, laying with their hands beside their, on their sides. Very peaceful. They all had uh, taken a mixture of drugs and put them into pudding or applesauce, chased it down by vodka, waiting their ride. Though these are really bizarre extremes, there are literally thousands of religious sects or cults, whatever you might want to call them, all throughout the world and claiming followers. There's no question that we live in an age of unprecedented spirituality. Spirituality is a huge hot word with people of the world. We've known, we've known about spiritual stuff in, in the church for a long time, but in the world it has become a hot word, that it is a religion in and of itself of how spiritual people are. We live in that time. So many are searching for meaning, meaning for a greater purpose. And most, most of these groups are led by one powerful, influential leader, one man or woman in some cases, that attracts followers. And they, they follow this person without question. In Acts 8, as we turn into Scripture, we, we meet such a leader here, such a leader that had this type of power, had this type of understanding about people and their needs, that he created such a following. He was viewed very power, as very powerful and dynamic, but let's look at our context real fast. Acts 8, we've just come off the heels. We've been studying through the early church in Acts. We've just come off the heels of Stephen being martyred. And at the end of his martyrdom, the persecution started in the church at Jerusalem. And it made all those there, except the apostles, as scriptures say, fled. Fled to Samaria and other places throughout the world. And what could have been a, really a bad thing here, God changes and uses for his purposes of spreading the gospel. Philip, as we read, goes to Samaria. There's a dramatic response as, as many come to Christ. Let's, let's read in Acts 8, verse 5. Philip, for, an, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed, so that there was great joy in the city. This is an extraordinary thing that Philip's able to do coming into the city. But a new issue arises in Samaria. Philip wasn't the only preacher in town. Verse 9, A man named Simon, who had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great, everyone from the least to the greatest, often spoke of him as the Great One, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. Simon really is a first century cult leader in a lot of ways. He may not have, have gone the same path of, uh, of these other men I just talked about, but he was a cult leader. He had a following that was calling him the Great One. The power of God. People were in search of spiritual insight, and Simon the sorcerer tapped into that. 
He tapped into their desires, gave them answers to their questions, gave them a purpose, and of course accepted their praise in return. Their praise and a lot of times their money. Philip comes in, shakes the Samaritan world. He preaches a message of hope and gives signs of authenticity, authentic wonders. We don't necessarily know the signs here that Simon the sorcerer was doing. But we know that Philip's had such a greater impact on the people that they would come and, and follow. Verse 12, But now the people believe Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. And Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went. And he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. So here is a sorcerer, someone who has already manipulated whatever it may be in the minds of people. It, I think it's more than just a David Copperfield magician trick. He is, he is doing great things that people are amazed by. Here is Simon, amazed by what Philip is doing. Amazed, so amazed, and buys into it. The hearts of the Samaritans are changed here. Even the heart of Simon the sorcerer or at least so it seems. I've entitled this message uh, Issues of the Heart because Simon, at surface level, may have looked like he came clean and everything was good, but he had a problem that was hard to detect. If you think about it, most heart attack victims, most heart attack victims within hours before their heart attack are doing great. They won't complain about anything. Everything seems to be good. And then out of the blue, so it seems comes an issue. comes a big problem in, in their heart. Sometimes spiritually the same thing happens. Some people have said that Simon really never was saved. He just was pretending because of what we read about later in his story, but the text doesn't seem to indicate that here. I think what the text is saying is that a guy like Simon can be saved and still have some heart issues, still have some problems. You can be saved. Simon believed, that he, Simon believed and he was baptized. That is what the text says. Simon closed his business. His business that he had that was apparently very successful, closed it, followed Philip. He was following and was amazed. There's no reason to doubt that there was conviction for this man, but he still had a heart problem. There was still something underneath that was just agging to get out. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Adam Clark's commentary says that the heart is full of windings. It even hides itself from itself so that its owner does not know it. A corrupt heart is the worst enemy the fallen creature can have. It is full of evil devices, of deceit, of folly, of abomination, and its owner knows not what's in him until it boils over and is often past remedy before the evil is perceived. Therefore, trust not in man whose purposes are continually changing and who is actuated only by the motives of self-interest. You can be saved as Simon was. He believed, was baptized, but still have issues of the heart. The issues that we are going to get into is right here. Heart issues often develop from
from underlying problems. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on the people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Spirit. Heart issues often develop from underlying problems. Physically, medical doctors tell us about these, these silent killers. Watch your blood pressure. Watch your cholesterol. Watch stress in your life. These things that don't seem so big at the time, but really build up and can have, wreak havoc on our, on our heart and our body. I think spiritually we have a lot the same thing that our life, uh, we have these issues that can lie dormant. We have these things that in our heart that can lie dormant and just waiting for, for the opportunity to come out in the middle of a crisis. Simon had been the main man for so long. Now he was following Philip. He was following Philip around, and I think part of it is he just wasn't used to that. Before he was in that spotlight, and now he's back in the shadows. But this new life, I really want to believe that Simon, with this new life, had, had put that old way behind him. He had tried his best to put it behind him, and he was following Philip and following Jesus here. But when he saw what the apostles could do, he saw that by the apostles laying on of hands, people would receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Something kind of sprung at him. Something deep within that maybe he thought he had a hold on, but it came out. He offered to buy this gift. He sought to buy it. Now, his sin isn't that he desired the power. His sin is that he wanted to buy it. He thought it had a price. He sought to make merchandise of it. He had begun to follow Christ, but in a lot of ways his heart still desired the old life and some of the, some of the beauty of being recognized and being thought highly of, of being called the great power. It's easy to identify Simon's sin as a sin of greed and desire for glory, but the sin is typical of many old habits that often show up and attempt to just come out of our lives after being in bondage. We've tried to shut things down, and maybe, maybe you felt the same way. Maybe you thought you've just you've kicked a habit. You had something in your life, and you're done with it. And then an opportunity presented itself, and you fell back into your old old ways. You ask the question, "Why? I know better than that." I think Satan has a way of allowing us to have a selective memory. We remember a lot of the good things and not the bad. I was talking with my brother just, just a couple days ago, and uh, he has three, three children. The last one is six days younger than uh, Michaela. And my sister-in-law had a rough time during pregnancy. And she, she told him that she's having a hard time now because Hannah Beth is, is doing so good. She's having a hard time now remembering how tough that pregnancy was. 
kind of made me wonder, how easy is it forget, to forget some of the pain and some of that old stuff whenever you just get focused on the good? That's not a bad thing. But it can create problem. King David, a man after God's own heart, fell into sin when the right opportunity presented itself, or more, more accurately, the wrong opportunity presented itself. After it was in the open that he slept with Bathsheba, David prays a prayer of repentance, focusing on the real problem. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. David knew he had an issue of his heart, and he needed God to create in him a new one. But God has a remedy for heart issues. God, God has something that can really change that. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps He will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in the Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. The remedy for Simon's heart, really, it was a knowledge that he went down that path again. It was someone catching him up saying, you're there, you're back to your old life. It took Peter confronting him and making Simon think. And the first thing that Simon, uh, Simon does whenever he sees this, pray to the Lord that these terrible things you said won't happen to me. I don't think that's just out of desperation. I think that is truly his heart being remade and saying, that was wrong. I see it. Let's fix this. Help me. I thank God for the Peters in, in life who are willing to confront. Willing to confront others that they see have some issues in their heart. It takes a lot to do that. It takes a lot to, to call someone whenever their heart's not right. But I thank God for those people because it's in those people that an awareness is brought because I do believe that some of those issues are so buried within our hearts, so hidden that we may not even be aware of them until they come out and then we don't know what to do with them and a confrontation gives us the opportunity to be accountable. Simon's thinking really wasn't wrong here. His mind needed to be renewed. He knew that. Romans 12, verse 2. If I can get to it. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I missed a K on that. Simon needs to re repent from his wickedness. Pray to God that these things will not happen. Change this heart. Change this heart of mine, God. And he solicits the prayers of others to overcome his sinfulness. It's hard for us, I think, to compare ourselves to a man like Simon because his sin, his problem, his issue was brought to the surface in such a public way. And maybe even if it wasn't, maybe if he went privately 
to the apostles saying, can I buy this power? It still was brought out. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. I know that uh, many times in my life I've been doing something that maybe I shouldn't have been doing. I've been going down a path and it's either been my mom, my dad, or a close friend, or what, whoever it may be, a sibling, that'll say, I saw that, Mitch. What were you doing? No matter how hard I maybe tried to hide something, whenever I was caught, I never liked that feeling. And sometimes I would, I would not do things just to not get caught, but that wasn't changing my heart. I was just doing it because I didn't like the repercussions of being caught. So I realized with a lot of those issues in my own life, in my own heart, that I had to change something within. I couldn't just cover it up. I couldn't just hide it. It had to be changed. In today's society, we seem to be taught that we should avoid our problems. I talked about that in class that, where I believe that that doesn't take us anywhere, but so many issues, if they come up, we ought to just sweep them under the rug. We ought to take care of them some other time or let someone else take care of them. They're, let's not have anything between us, no issues. That's a lot of our society. But I don't think that's what Scripture is teaching. Sin must be confronted in our lives. If anything's going to change, sin must be confronted. And we've got to understand where sin comes from. When our heart is not right... That's where we have issues. Repentance. Repentance is required from our sin. We must repent of it, and then forgiveness is possible. David knew how to get, get right with God. I'm going to read the broader section of this Created Me a Clean Heart from Psalm 51, 10 through 13. Created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. I think following Christ is a growth process. I think everyone's on that journey somehow, one way or another, that it is a growth process in following Christ. And it's not whenever you're baptized, you're done. Because apparently with Simon the sorcerer, when he was baptized, he still had to grow. His heart still was not fully right with God, and that needed to be confronted. It is a growth process. God wants our whole heart, and that's what he's striving to have, it, a continual renewing and, and creating to change our heart to be like him, to have his heart. The question that I have then for you this morning is, How's your heart? How's your heart doing? Have you had your checkup recently? Have you had that someone come to you and confront you on something? If so, that's not necessarily a bad thing. As long as it's within the fines of Scripture and, and as they're doing it out of love and exposing sin, maybe that's not a bad thing. How's your heart? Where is it standing? I don't know about you, but we could always, I, I could always use a heart check. Every once in a while, making sure. Because I know where my actions are, I know where my head is. They want to follow Christ, and I think I, I'm doing a pretty good job there, but it's the heart that God wants. How's your heart? It's not just in your actions. It's deep within you. 
if you need a renewing of your heart, know that Jesus can do that. He can take it and, as the psalm says here, create a new one within you. You can't do it by yourself. You can't rid things from your heart just by willing it so. You have to give it to God. If you're in need of giving your heart to God, please come forward as we stand and sing.